brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a Midi clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Welcome to the A Minute to Midnight show, folks. This is Tony coming to you from New Zealand. And with me today on the show, I have Lynette Zhang. Now, Lynette's been on the A Minute to Midnight show a few times, but gosh, it's been ages since the last time mm-hmm. we did it. So I'm really excited to be catching up and I've got a bunch of questions to ask you and pick your brains on, Lynette. I know it's been way too long, Tony, but it's really good to be back. So pick away. All right. I guess so. The first place to start is 2023. We're early in 2023. In a nutshell, where do you think we're heading, you know, economy-wise in 2023? Well, I honestly think much as we're hearing about a soft landing and all of this garbage, um, I think 2023 is going to be even more volatile, end up being uh, more volatile than 2022, because uh, June 30th, Uh, We have that reset of over $610 trillion in notional value contracts as the world shifts from one interest rate benchmark, the LIBOR, to in the U.S., but there are a number of different countries that created new interest rate benchmark. So in the U.S., it's called the SOFR, but globally, all contracts have to reset the end of June. And that may not seem like, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people that are listening are going, well, that doesn't really matter, or how does that impact me, or why should I care about that? Uh, But if you haven't been following this drama that evolved since the financial crisis was discovered that LIBOR was being manipulated, shocker, it's just a stated rate anyway. But, um, and I could certainly be wrong about this, but an experiment this size has never, ever, ever been attempted. And the new interest rate benchmarks that different central banks around the globe have come up with, they do not work the same way that the LIBOR works. And so it's really a tectonic shift in interest income, but even more important than that, the valuations of all of the contracts that are tied to LIBOR. So it could be mortgages, it could be credit cards, but it's certainly derivatives, which are big leverage bets that the banks hold. 
that's just all about trading. That is, you know, it, it may not be a big deal if you're looking at one contract, but when you're looking at God knows how many, at least $610 trillion worth of contracts, that's a tectonic shift. And I don't think that's going to be an easy shift. And I don't think they can do it. And neither does Wall Street. Wall Street does not think they can do it. That's why they had to force compliance. Um, six uh, Over $600 trillion, that's a number you can't even fathom, really. When you say exactly. force compliance, Wall Street, what do you mean? Well, up until January 1st of 2022, so up until a year ago, uh, when any new contracts were written, they were still written with LIBOR embedded in them. And that's how they derive the interest rate that you pay for your credit card or your mortgage or your student loans or whatever kind of debt you might have. This is way bigger than the individuals. So um, what I mean by that is the most current numbers that I've seen uh, and force compliance was as of January 2022, no new contracts could be written with LIBOR in them. They all had to have the new interest rate benchmark. So Wall Street did not volunteer that. They were forced to comply with it. And the reason why they never adopted it was because the two rates are different. Even, even with their little accounting tricks, those two rates are different. And some, some people that, some entities that are impacted by this are starting to fight back against it, about against this transition. I mean, it, I just see a lot more mess in 2023. And I see a big crisis before the end of June. Well, and, is and this tied in with, with the great reset, do you think? And yes, also, I'm very 100%. interested in your thoughts on where we are at with central bank digital currencies. Um, is this all tied in together, linked? 100%. Yes, 100%. They know, meaning central banks and governments, but mostly central banks that pay attention to this, there's virtually officially no purchasing power left in the currencies and they've been anchored or stuck near zero forever since really 2008 and they're attempting liftoff now. Yes, 100% this is all about the Great Reset because they know we are at the end of this currency's life cycle. Hard for people to imagine and I get that. And that's that's one of the things that the powers that be certainly understood was that people marry the legal money of the state. Uh, but nevertheless, if they're out of all of the tools and ammunition, I mean, negative rates are about attacking principle. They already have all your purchasing power based on inflation. Now they have to attack your principle. So, yes, they yes, 100 percent. Not one little doubt in my mind that they know that this is the end. And so they have to create a large enough crisis that the public would accept what they're going to cram down our throats in terms of central bank digital currencies. So, and the, well, the central bank digital currencies, they, they want to make them programmable too. Um, they are programmable. Yeah, yeah. Can you maybe, I'm sure probably most of my listeners have a bit of an idea on that, but maybe you could expand a little bit on what 
the CBDCs and programmability means just briefly? Well, you know, I can, and it's it's interesting if we look at a little bit of an evolution, like this is gold money in this little pouch, right? Gold coins. And when we were on the gold and silver standard, and particularly the gold standard, if you didn't like what a politician was doing, you would go into the bank with, you know, say a $20 bill and you'd walk out with an ounce of gold and that would create restrictions around what governments could do. So it was good for the public, but the governments didn't like it. And then we transitioned into the Federal Reserve, well, in in the U.S., the Federal Reserve note, but that's fiat. That's a government, that's a government-based money. And it's actually a debt instrument that anchors that money at zero. So in theory, you can't go below zero, right? Now, when a central bank wants to change something or they have a policy change, it takes 12 to 18 months working through the system until they know whether or not they got the results that they want. So so the central bank may make a policy, but we're not going to know for a while whether or not it worked. So if you hold currency outside of the system, it's still private, like gold is absolutely private, but it's private. They can control the inflation. So the value, the purchasing power value of this. Now we go into a new system where you get paid and that money immediately goes into your bank account. So they can see all the money that you have coming in. They can see where you're spending it. They can dictate where you can spend it. They can say, well, you can't spend more than this much. Oop, you're eating too much meat, right? So now you only have this much that you can do in meat. And if you don't use it by this date, it goes away. So if they don't like what you're doing, similar to what we saw in Canada, right? When the truckers were doing a legal protest. Yeah. And the government didn't like it. They just went, boom, you have no access to your bank accounts, your insurance accounts, your savings account. Oh, somebody donated $5 for you. Boom. They have no access to their bank accounts, their savings accounts, any money. So programmable money is completely visible, right? And the central banks, these are reports that they actually write, if any body besides me bothers to read them. They will have their finger on that little button and they make a policy choice. And if they don't see the impact that they want, they just tweak it. And they have actually talked about having the ability to constantly tweak policy. And they know in real time whether or not what they want to have happen, happens. So for example, we're consumer-driven world these days, right? They want you to consume. So if you're not spending your money fast enough, they just lower the interest rates down more so that you can visibly see your principal evaporating. Well, when you see your principal evaporating, what are you likely to do? Go out and try and buy anything that you believe will hold its value better than the currencies in the bank, which is what happens during hyperinflation. Where are they at? We keep being told in the U.S. that, oh, they're thinking about it. They're looking for comments about it. They're not ready to do it. They don't think they're going to do it. And yet 
they're running a 12-week test with MasterCard, so the credit card companies, the big uh, social media companies, all these guys are involved in this test of a digital dollar. And they got to keep the name the dollar so that you don't realize that anything has changed. And I don't know if you can see this or not, but this is this is a silver certificate, right? So when you could go in and convert this back into silver. If you looked at it, they look so similar yeah. that you would think nothing has changed. So with the advent of cryptocurrencies, which I don't think were an accident, and I don't know about New Zealand, but I do know in the US, they've had 16% of the adult population work with cryptocurrencies in some way, mm. bought them, sold them, hold them, whatever. That's enough for adoption. So to bring in these CBDCs, when you've got a large chunk of the population already used to cryptocurrencies, easy adoption. And if that's our only choice, they control everything that you do. If you don't have any wealth outside of the system. Well, we'll come to that in a minute, but... I mean, I think probably m many people will have seen that little short clip of Augustine Carstens, the you know, yes. head of the Bank of International Settlements, basically saying what you're just saying. They want to be able to track and trace and control, tr control it, and that's the Bank of International Settlements. You know, you don't get any higher than that in central banks. So, um, and then we're looking at the social credit scores and ESG scores and things, and I'm thinking that they're going to tie all of that in with it. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I think we're going to end up back in a feudal system where you just have, you know, a few big owners, mm. and then you have all of these workers that are leasing everything from these owners. Well, that's, so much as, that's what the World Economic Forum said they want. You'll own nothing and be happy. Yeah. So. Well, I think you'll own nothing, but I'm not so sure how happy. <laughs> they'll be happy because they'll own everything. That's the. <laughs> yeah. Right, they'll be happy. Yeah. Yeah, it should be. You will own nothing and we will be happy. Yeah. So just changing slightly, but the um, US dollar, for example, compared to 1913, how much purchasing power does it currently have? Uh, officially, it has roughly three cents. Okay, so if you get people can get their head around that, what you could buy in 1913 for a dollar, you can only buy, it costs you three cents worth of it now. That, that's, that's crazy. I mean, well, and that's, you know, that's not far away from zero, three cents. <laughs> no, it isn't far away from zero, is it? And I don't even know that you can see this, but this teeny weeny is a $1 gold coin. Yeah. So it is a 20th of an ounce of gold. And I did a little test. Um, I was, I was at a, a symposium in October and originally like in 1913, this or, or this or a silver dollar would have bought you 11 loaves of bread. Mm. In October, it's higher now. 
But in October, this would buy you 133 loaves of bread. Wow. But this only bought you not even like about a quarter, not even a quarter of a loaf of bread. Okay. So inflation silently robs you. It was, and, and people should understand inflation is not a monetary phenomenon. It is a government backed monetary phenomenon that they want because governments wanted to be able to tax you without you complaining about it. When you're on the gold standard, they, they raise taxes, you know about it, right? But inflation is a way for them to tax you without you realizing it. And I mean, it really is ridiculously genius, Tony, because look at people all around the world are going, look at how much my house went up as example, right? Yeah. Look at how much my house went up. Well, it's really the loss of purchasing power. But now if you go and sell that or your stocks or, or anything else, they're going to tax you on those inflated gains. If we were actually in a real system, then there would not be the gains because you or there could be supply and demand gains, but not inflation gains. So they devalue the currency, create inflation so that it takes more and more of these to buy the same goods and services. And they force you out on the risk spectrum to try and keep up with the inflation and then they tax it. I mean, it it's genius. Hmm. It's evil genius for sure. And it's disgusting and despicable, but it's genius. So inflation, do you think we're going to end up with hyperinflation or is it just going to be a slow creep up? And is that how they're going to get rid of? Because obviously if you hyperinflate, eventually it's going to get closer and closer to zero. Um, well, and then they have an excuse to bring in a central bank digital currency. Could that be mm -hmm. how they'll play it out? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think it's all, all garbage. I hear more and more how this is going to be a soft landing or maybe we're going to avoid the reset. No, no, no. This is the end game right here, right now. This is the end game. Yes. Uh, the only reason why we are not in hyperinflation right now is because the public still has confidence in the central banks and the system. Dwindling confidence, mind you. They're, they check that all the time because it's a con game. So they got to keep that confidence. Mm. Um, but yeah, I do think we're headed into a hyperinflationary depression. And, um, you know, and I think really they can't make that. I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Because this is not something that's within my control. But I can tell you when they ran the test, uh, I believe it was October of 2019 with 80 trillion contract in contracts, changing it from one benchmark to the other, it had to have been a big fat fail because it went dead silent after they ran the test. And three weeks later, they postponed it from 2021 to 2023. And Tony, I got to ask you, do you hear anybody talking about this transition in June? No, no, not at all. Only you. <laughs> and, I, and I'm wondering, why aren't you talking about it? I mean, this is going to impact every single contract on the planet. 
that's a big deal, don't you think? Yeah, totally. Yes. I know. Mm. So I'm watching at times, like I do monitor the price of silver and gold, for example, in the stock mm -hmm. market a little bit. But what I'm noticing is the days that the stock market goes up, silver and gold goes up, and the days the stock market goes down, the silver and gold goes down with the stock market, which seems to be the complete opposite than the way it was up until mm -hmm. a couple of years ago. It was like if the stock market went down, you could be pretty sure that the gold and silver were going up the same day. What's happened? What's changed? The system itself has been very much financialized. In other words, um, once once uh, the banks came into control in the early 70s, they then started the process of turning apps, again, financialization, turning absolutely everything, I don't care what it is, into a financial product that could be uh, traded. But with the central banks printing so much money and manipulating all of the markets seriously since 2008, uh, the whole system, nothing really works the way it was really intended to work. Because you could say the same thing about stocks and bonds, right? So if the stock market's up, then the bond market's down and vice versa. And it really is gold market up, dollar down and vice versa. But the system does not work. And, and the, the normal, the things that we've been trained to think of as normal, those don't work anymore because central banks have completely flooded and convoluted and distorted the system. And when you're looking at gold and silver, they don't ever say spot gold, spot silver, which is a contract. That's all it is when you're looking at whatever, how much is the current price of gold. It's, it's for a contract that they can make an unlimited amount of gold and an unlimited amount of silver that does not nor ever will exist. But there's an interesting thing that's happening in the physical market, and that is that demand has absolutely exploded. So you'll find that the premiums from spot are growing wider and wider and wider. In other words, you're going to have to, it doesn't matter as much what spot says, you're going to have to pay more because in a true supply demand market where you've got just a finite amount, well, if you want it, you're going to have to pay more for it. Uh, so what we're really seeing is in the collectible market. So in this market, even as, I mean, gold closed pretty much flat for the for 2022 from the beginning of the year to the end but the coins have broken out especially up at that highest level where the 1% live where someone would pay 15 million dollars for a 1 ounce coin right so you look at the fact that the 1% the smart money the big money they're buying gold hand over fists and those premiums are exploding in the physical world. And then you look at the central banks who globally, you know, we don't have the fourth quarter numbers just yet, but in the third quarter, and then, and then especially going past that to November, they have central banks have bought more gold than they ever have since they started tracking central bank gold purchases and sales. What does that tell you? Well, wow, that's very right. interesting, isn't it? 
It's, mm-hmm. Yeah. So because a lot of people as individuals are thinking, because I hear it all the time, what's the point in us holding silver and gold? They're not going to let you use it anyway. Or they'll take it off you or you can't eat it. You know, it's like you're better off doing something else. And, you know, so why as as individuals, you know, Will they allow us to trade, or is it going to have to be black market out once the CBDCs are in place? So what, or what? What are your thoughts, and why should we have silver and gold? Like physical, obviously, not paper. Yes. Well, number one, the Bank for International Settlements is the central banker's central bank. So the IMF is the collection of the global central banks, but the biz kind of mon- creates a monitor rules. And their words, gold is the only financial asset that runs no counterparty risk. It is the ultimate safe haven asset being outside of political risk if you hold it at home. So frankly, if you don't hold it, you don't own it, those deposits in the bank those stocks and bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, annuities, all that crap, those are contracts and they all run counterparty risk. The central banks are buying it. The one percenters are buying it because they're holding it, they're owning it, and they want to stay in control and they want to stay in power and they want to retain their choices. That's why the individual should own it as well, because who knows more about money than central banks? And who knows more about accumulating and managing their wealth than the 1%? So why wouldn't you emulate them? Hmm. Now, you brought up a really good point, and that is, well, the government is not going to let us use it anyway. So here's the thing about that. There are a few things. Number one, personally, I, and I don't know about New Zealand, I have to do some research on that, but I do think that there will be an overt confiscation again. And we've seen it. We saw it recently, even in Ghana with the gold miners, right? So I like the kind that the 1% buy. Now, this is not an eight, $8 million coin. This is a coin that's probably just a couple thousand bucks, right? You don't need to have an $8 million coin, but see how it's slabbed? If I can buy what the 1%, the category that the 1% are buying for themselves, then this is my collection, just like it's their collection. Somebody that paid $8 million for a coin is not going to be turning it in for the face value of 50 bucks. It's not going to happen. But anybody that can pay $8 million for an ounce of gold is either writing the laws or has the ability to influence those that write the laws. So this has not always been true, uh, but these days I personally do not own any bullion. I only own collectibles for that reason. And there's still, even though the premiums have gone up, Um, quite honestly, there's still a bargain. And I think that's what people also need to to understand is if you count on Wall Street telling you truth, well, (laughs) that's not going to happen. 
So I think that we all have to have the ability to understand what the true value, excuse me, the true fundamental value of any asset is, right? And for gold, this is good money. And it's good money because it has the broadest base of functionality in, in all the world on a global basis. It is used in every single sector of the global economy. And so is the silver. So is silver. They're both used in, in manufacturing, in medicine, in space travel, in electronics, in the financial system, in jewelry, in art, in food, and on and on and on. Both of them are used. So therefore, they have the broadest base of uh, functionality and the broadest base of buyer. This is critical. And it's something that I never hear anybody else talk about. And I don't know why. Because if you're going into a fight, what do you want? You want one little wimpy weapon? Or do you want an arsenal? So here, you have an arsenal in this money battle in a very nice, neat, teeny, small package. That's why central banks are buying it. That's why the 1% are buying it. That's why we need to hold it outside of the system. So what about the people that haven't got much money and and, and gold and collectible gold particularly is pretty much seems to be out of reach to them? Would you advise those people to get silver or would you just go just buy tiny little bits of gold, um, you know, like one ounce or whatever, but then you won't get one ounce collectibles. They're only going to be one ounce little tiny bars or coins. Um, I mean, not one ounce, sorry, one tenth of an ounce or one um, gram, you know, because one ounce is still quite expensive. But but silver, you know. Too true. And silver is is great for barterability, severely undervalued. But people should also understand that both gold and silver in any form, this is a sterling silver chopstick that I'm holding, right? This is 92.5% pure. So gold and silver in any form is monetary at its base. It doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be polished. You could, you know, clip it. So there are all different ways that you can accumulate gold and silver at a very affordable level because it doesn't have to be pretty. It can be broken, bent, it's still monetary at its base. So if you have, I mean, I definitely do like silver. Silver for me is about barterability. So maybe Aunt Bessie had some sterling silver flatware, right? Or maybe you have a sterling silver bracelet or a ring or something like that. That's monetary at its base. Uh, with gold, it's it's the same thing. You know, 10 carat, 14 carat, 18 carat, 22 carat, 24 carat, right? It's all marked. But if it's broken, people don't necessarily understand what they have. It used to be a lot easier than it is now. But you take a little snipper if you need a little piece of it. Do you think I would have a problem cutting off a piece of this if I needed it? No, I would not. Might be harder to eat your Chinese food with it. <laughs> <laughs> it would, but I still have fingers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I no, could do I, that. I I agree. So, um, 
So maybe our, our listeners, you know, you could tell them what you do and the service that you provide on, and particularly like you're great with the answering people's questions and if, if somebody wants your ad- advice and, you know, guiding themselves through and you provide the whole service. So maybe yes. if you could tell our listeners exactly the details a bit more and where they find you and stuff. Yeah, well, it's it's pretty simple. I started um, studying currencies and currency life cycles in 1987, and I saw just repeatable patterns. It's happened over 4,800 times. So that's there's lots of data on that. And so I created a strategy for myself before I even got to ITM trading, and it's based on those repeatable patterns. So it's not rocket science. You just have to learn to recognize the patterns. And um, we have a service. So everybody at ITM has the foundation of that strategy. And then we tweak it to who you are, what your circumstances are, what your goals are, and how much you have to work with uh, so that you can actually execute your own strategy and become your own central banker. And if you don't know what your goals are, we have a lot of questions that we can ask you to help you define those so that it's always the right tool for the job. What am I trying to accomplish? I mean, honestly, can I accomplish everything that I want to accomplish with silver? Well, yeah, but I probably have to have a whole lot more silver um, than I do. So silver has functionality for me as barterability. I need a tank of gas. I need a pint of strawberries or something like that. But gold is more about wealth preservation and also about opportunity positioning because there are lots of opportunities that open up as you go through a crisis. So you just have to be at the right place at the right time with the right asset. And, you know, so that's what the gold and silver is about. But then I have a YouTube channel so you can go into YouTube and ITM trading. It'll come up or me, my name, Lynette Zhang. And we also have a new YouTube channel called BGS, Beyond Gold and Silver, because as you said earlier, you can't eat the gold. Actually, that's not true. I have had desserts with little gold foil on there. So you actually can eat the gold. But um, but on BGS, I have a mantra, food, water, energy, security, barterability, wealth preservation, community, and shelter. And these are all the things that we need to sustain a reasonable standard of living. And so on that channel, we try and meet you wherever you are. If you've never had a garden, great. Here's a great place to start. If you're a master gardener, not only will we give you tips, but come help teach people so that we can help people, everybody, anywhere, be as self-sufficient and sustainable as possible, because that's what we're going to need to get through this. And community is arguably this, the most important part of the mantra, because one person can't do it all. They just can't do it all. So if you come together in community, you have a whole bunch of different skill sets. You have a whole bunch of different assets that you bring to the table. I have gardeners. Well, maybe you know how to lay irrigation. You don't have a garden, but you can lay irrigation. Okay, that's community, mm. right? So, um, and so you can find us. We have a, a YouTube channel, BGS or Beyond Gold and Silver as well. But uh, we love 
answering questions. We love helping people. We are here to be of service. Totally think community is so important. Um, oh. You know, getting to find like-minded people and people that you, you can work with um, yes. is really important. So if people, I mean, your YouTube channels are great, but if people want to find your actual website, what's the URL for the website? itmtrading.com. Great. And, you know, so it's there. And I think, don't we put a lot of links in the YouTube as well? So you can access this that way as well. And, um, but, but I think everybody really needs to have a personal strategy to get through this. And the sooner the better, because we are running out of time. Yeah, totally agree. I, I, that's been a great little discussion, I think. Um, so thank you for coming on again. And I, I think it'd be great to do maybe another show sometime before that um, June <laughs> <laughs> situation, because I think we're going to see a lot happening between now and then. So, Yeah, I mean, you really have to wonder, why is nobody talking about this? Why is it so quiet? Mm. They don't want you to know. They don't want you to think about it. They don't want you to take your wealth outside of the system. They need it there so they can capture as much of it as possible and make you as dependent on them as possible. Then you're in the CBDCs and you're just in big duty. Well, I think that's a great way to sum it up, actually, if you, you know what you've just said. Um, if you're in the system, they want you tracked in there. So try and get out of it as much as you can now while you still can. So thank you, Lynette. That was great. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Always. It's good to be back, Tony. Totally. Missed you. And let's do it again soon. Absolutely. And folks, don't forget to visit us at a minute to midnight.com and subscribe to us as well. And our YouTube channel, Rumble channel, BitChute channel, Apple Podcasts, we have all of those. Um, but subscribe at our website primarily. And A Minute to Midnight is run 100% by donations. Huge thank you to the people that do donate to help us keep it running. Really, really appreciate it. So um, that's about it for this episode. Oh, and the music I've written, played and recorded that we use in the show as well. So God bless folks and stay safe and hopefully we'll be back with another video very soon. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.